0: Chapter four of the new novel, American Bourbon, closes with this scene. The day of his mother's funeral, Mac had headed into the woods alone. Once he was far from the house, he collapsed to the ground. He hated these green plants, still growing while his mother could not. It wasn't fair. He screamed at the pea shooters and the stream cabbage, yanked them out by the roots and pitched them away. He reveled in the destruction, tearing the plants up, welcoming the sight of the mournful, wet brown holes they left behind. Exhausted at last, he sat back, panting, surveying the desolation he'd created. It was a war zone, torn and broken branches scattered away from blasted holes, crushed flowers next to clumps of trampled grass. But it brought him no relief. Mac returned the next day carrying his mother's gardening tools. He raked up destroyed plants and carefully piled rocks. He gently dug around the young trees, bent but still clinging to life, and transplanted them farther out. He smoothed and fixed and filled, reversing the destruction he'd caused. He came every day, and by the end of that summer He had an empty circle, tightly surrounded by trees. Mac knew the Native Americans believed the medicine wheel was a never-ending cycle of life, each direction flowing from the center. He wanted to plant Maeve's favorite, his mother's favorite, a gardenia bush with tiny buds in the spring that burst into fragrant blossoms in the summer turning to fat clusters of red bird berries in the fall and green leaves all winter. The gardenia went into the center of the ground and he patted fresh dirt around it, watering it with a can he kept hidden under a bush with her tools. Over the next few weeks, it began to thrive, standing out in the wide, barren circle. Max sketched plans for the medicine wheel, The eastern quarter was fire, spirit, and rising hope, which he assigned to his two-year-old sister, Bridget. He would plant pink turtle heads, their small mouths opening like Bridget's when she cried at night for her mother. The south would be Kieran and his sunny nature, filled with butterfly bushes. Mac was to the west and his space remained empty for a long time. The northern quarter would be for his father, Caleb. Mac had hesitated about bringing that cold, dark, wintry spirit into his garden, but Maeve had taught him that there was balance in nature, whether we like it or not. He called it Maeve's garden. Words from the new novel, American Bourbon, by Jennifer Jenkins. So even the dark spirits in proportion are part of the circle, part of the wheel, as Maeve, whose name in the Celtic tradition means intoxicating, she who intoxicates, holds the center as life force. Still, Mac seems trapped by the darkness. In the final paragraph of this chapter, we learn of a troubling, inescapable past It was his penance, this garden, for his mother's death. He had never told anyone it was here, but he couldn't just walk away. He couldn't walk away from his sister either. He had tried repeatedly to make amends over the last three years, but she continued to shun him. Tomorrow she would be 21, and he was not welcome in her life. Today's humiliation in the bank seemed to cement his destiny. Their town, Touraine, had given its answer. There was no future for him here. The past, the present, and the future. And dark spirits seem to rule in Touraine. As the story begins, there's a series of earth-shaking explosions and a black cloud of smoke rising above the hills. And we can never forget the title of the novel is American Bourbon. Whiskey, that whiskey, such spirits can indeed be dark or light in our lives. Jennifer Jenkins is a Tuncanic native. She spent many years directing and writing plays before expanding her repertoire to magazines and literary reviews and going on to receive a degree from the Graduate Creative Writing Program at Wilkes University in Wilkes-Barre. The book was just released on June 1st and we had a chance to speak by phone with Jennifer Jenkins about American Bourbon and how her playwriting and life in theater may have influenced her fiction.
1: I have done theater my entire life, not only as a playwright, but director, producer, actor. And in 2015, I had a very terrible year. There was a lot of loss for me. I lost both of my parents very suddenly within just a few months of each other. And it's the sort of thing that makes you stop and take stock. One of the last conversations I was able to have with my father, he knew that I had been thinking about going to graduate school. And we had the conversation, well, how long will it take? And I said, three years. And he said, and how old will you be in three years anyway? And I thought, that's a good point. So that launched me into Wilkes. And when I got there, I thought, no, I'm going to keep my dad's good advice because he didn't take easy way ever in his life. And I'm going to really challenge myself, so I'm going to try fiction because now I will have to write about people's thoughts and feelings. Whereas as a playwright, you wait until you put that on stage and then you have a whole crew of people. You have designers and assistant directors and stage managers and you all sort of work together as a collaborative process to pull that into life. But with fiction, it's just you. And so that was my challenge. I was lucky enough to have some wonderful professors at the Wilkes Creative Writing Graduate Program, and they helped me all the way through. And if it wasn't for them, I would not be here today. And it was, believe it or not, even though I made so many rounds outside when I was ready to publish – It came back to two professors from Wilkes, um, Lenore Hart and David Poyer. And I did not feel that I had that much in common initially, but I did send the first chapter off to David Poyer, and he was the first person in two years of submissions who said to me, I understand what this book is about, and he did. And I was thrilled. And so he and his company, Northampton House Press, were the ones that picked it up to publish it, and
0: it has been a phenomenal experience. These professionals are serious, and just because you are part of the program, they're not going to give you a pass. They're going to want it to be as good as it can be, as good as you can be, or they're not going to let it see the light of day, I'm sure of that. That's
1: exactly
0: what we got
1: at Wilkes, and it's a lot of work. It's a lot of pressure. There were nights when I cried. (laughs) But I think that's normal because all of the professors there are working writers. In one genre or another, there are poets, there are playwrights, nonfiction, there are journalists, screenplays, and all of them work in their different forms. So
0: the kind of leadership they can show you is something that's really unequal. Before we get into more about the specifics of how you do what you do, Has the story been simmering in your mind, your heart, for some time? How did you come to want to tell the story of these folks? The
1: story for me always begins with the characters, and that probably goes back again to all of the training that I've had with theater. And so I wanted to, I put some people together and said, okay, I'm going to write about moonshine. And who am I going to write about? What do these people have to do with it? How are they connected? Where do they fit? And so the first thing I do is sketch out all of the characters, and then I build on their relationships. And then I figure out where they are and how they feel about Moonshine. Is it good, bad? What are the different crises that they see coming up with this? And do you
0: just launch it off from there? Because I have known you as the playwright that you are and the theater person you are, I was thinking, oh, the characters are so true and they're so real. And I would think if we just say, well, it's going to be a book about moonshine and it's going to be in the hills and all of that, one might think it would be too easy to fall into stereotypes of characters because we've all seen movies that are shallow about these kinds of folks.
1: Exactly. And I really wanted to make this true, and it is, for the most part. Um, I have done a lot of research. I actually started off going down to Virginia. I had a friend down there who was graceful enough to take me around up into the mountains, drove on these old trails. He was explaining to me what it is that you need to have a still out in the mountains, how you have to look for your water source and things of that nature, and I did get to know some people who have asked to remain anonymous, and I respect that, who talked to me about the process and about the history of it, and that really fascinated me as well. This is something that the immigrants brought over from Europe when they came. It's something they had done in their families for hundreds of years. It was never anything to be looked down upon. It was a source of income for them. And when they came to America, many of them started with bourbon simply because what they had the most of on their land was corn. And so they used all the resources that they had at the time to make what they could to help support their families. And I wanted to be able to make this real. I know a lot of people have probably seen the show Moonshiners, and it's a fun show, and they have a lot of outrageous characters But that's more for a television audience. I wanted to be able to bring some people to life who have a certain respect for this and the history and the generations that have gone
0: into it. And I hope that that comes through as well. Why did you say moonshine? There's obviously a larger sense of what moonshine and bourbon and spirits are all about. Oh, absolutely. This
1: goes back to a party I went to, a barbecue way out in the woods in Pennsylvania, Northeastern part with a friend of my brother's who gave me this little tiny glass of wine, and he said, tell me what you think of this. And I said, well, I'm rather insulted that you would give me just this little Dixie cup. And he said, well, just, just have a sip and tell me what you think. And it was absolutely delicious. And he said, well, then you can have another, and so I did, and then I had another and another, and then I stood up, and then I fell down, because he was making, in essence, moonshine using what he had on his land, and he walked me through the process of what he made, and I found it fascinating for someone to be that creative, to say, this is what I have at my disposal. These are the things that are growing on my land. These are the berries that I have and the vines that I can use. I want to put this together and come up with something, and he did very well with that. He does it to this day. Now, there are definitely restrictions, and they vary from state to state. I believe the last time I checked, in Pennsylvania, it is legal to distill spirits, but you cannot sell them unless you have the correct government license. So my brother's friend doesn't sell them, but let's just say that he gifts them. And I can say that because I'm not going to tell you who he is.
0: (laughs) Certainly we're gifted with our families. Mac and Bridget and Kieran didn't choose Caleb as their father, and they didn't choose each other as siblings. It's all given, and they have to work their relationships out the best they can. And you take us through all those complicated associations. The, The biggest Thing that I think about with these
1: characters and the way that they are sometimes working at cross-purposes and butting heads is there is an immense amount of pride in being able to produce your own alcohol and specifically to be able to produce bourbon because bourbon is the only American whiskey And it was deemed so actually by the U.S. Congress in 1964. That is a fact that just makes me laugh every single time I think about what the government has done for us. Well, they gave us bourbon. And there are certain criteria that you have to meet in order to make bourbon. It has to be 51% corn, and the barrels that it is aged in have to be um, a certain type and things of that nature. Now, you can make similar whiskey in Europe. You can make it in Canada. I know that Crown Royal is a lovely whiskey, and it's very similar to bourbon, but it also has to be made in America, and that was another designation from Congress. So bourbon can only be made here, and I think a lot of people really have a lot of pride in the fact that this is our, for all intents and purposes, our national... Whiskey, and
0: we are proud of it. And there's pride in this family because there is something special that they have developed a sweet tea bourbon that is their own, and they are, as you help us understand, said to be legally producing it.
1: Yes, this is the case with the McKinsey family. The patriarch Caleb spent a lot of money to buy his licenses and build his warehouses to make sure. That everything was legal. And the fact that now, when we open the book, there are ATF agents sniffing around town gives him just a little bit of pause about what they might actually be looking for. I won't go into any more of that because people will just have to read it. But one of the things that irritates Caleb is his daughter is the one with the biggest interest in taking over the company. And she wants to make changes. She wants to add new flavors. She wants to build a restaurant that will feature bourbon recipes. And this is not what he intended whatsoever. So we have that dynamic between the father and the daughter going as well.
0: I wanted to ask you about the Irish connection because you talked about the immigrants. The characters are named. Bridget, Maeve, Kieran. So you do give us a sense of those roots. I
1: think that's important for people to remember, and just coincidentally now, especially that these are immigrants. They came over, and the way that the Irish retreated when they first landed in America was just as appalling as many people on the borders today and also the sense of history that they bring with them now, which is something in this country that that we gladly accept, which I think, in my opinion, we need to do more of. But it's also important
0: to remember
1: that lineage and that history and to know that that is something of which you are to be proud. When Caleb is on his own much earlier in the book, and a friend of his says, you should go over to Ireland and get yourself a wife, They'll consider you a king over there. That is something that is, that is right to him. That is, he wants to bring more of the homeland back into his life and create another empire as well.
0: And while we're speaking of Caleb, it would be easy for us to dislike him very much. We could just write him off. And yet that relationship with Lonnie and Caleb... There's a bond there that's not in any way sentimental. It's just tender and real. So again, a rounded character. I always think characters are more interesting if they have
1: several things going on at the same time. And you're right. Caleb is a loud, obnoxious, abusive alcoholic. He has done terrible things to his children. He has beat them and he has denied them many things. Some of that, I hope, is understood in the book. When we do get a little bit into his background, I think you can start to understand where he's come from and what he's lived through, but also the relationships that he has with Lonnie was one of my favorite parts of writing this book. Two lost souls that happen to find each other and mesh together and really have no questions
0: except this unconditional bond. It's a wonderful gift to have in the way you manage time in the story. You have the characters remembering, for example, Mac remembers that their mom used to make pancakes for them to make them feel better, and he offers to get some pancakes for Bridget, and she doesn't remember, but we have that sense of Maeve, even though she's not alive during the story. And we think about the medicine wheel, which is a different sort of time, the circular nature of time, where mom Maeve is in the center and not in the past. She is present and affecting all of their lives now. So you balance those different senses of time so deftly. Well, thank you for that. That was really an
1: issue when I first started working on the book. And one of the things that, as Nancy McKinley used to always say, sometimes you have to kill your darlings. So a lot of that got excised out of the book, but I thought it was important to be able to show especially the interdependence between these characters and how very much they need each other in this family. The loss of Maeve is so significant to all of them, and to be able to keep that together the way that Mac does, he's the oldest brother, to keep her alive, especially for Bridget, since she died when Bridget was just two years old, and she really doesn't remember anything about her, and it was also good to be able to go back and show that someone could fall in love with Caleb McKenzie and you could believe that. So I hope th- that sort of weaves together and brings the relationships better to light for people.
0: And it's quite a lovely thing that Mac is a landscape architect and has this sense of the tradition of, for example, the Native American medicine wheel, and is going to make one in memory of his mother who taught him things about gardening and the sense of the four directions and the mandala where the symbol is a symbol of wholeness. That is exactly
1: what it is with Maeve being in the center with the gardenia bush and then the four of them coming out from her and the connection that they have not only to her but to each other and there is a point where when he's a child and he starts this He doesn't want to have to acknowledge his father, but he remembers her saying that even that is part of life. So being able to look at all the aspects of life, even the unpleasant ones, and saying, what did I get from this, or what did I learn from this, or how can I recover, how can I fix this, is all part of the Native American culture with the medicine wheel.
0: It's beautifully handled, and when he wants to use the gardenia, and he's going to go off and sneak onto a property and steal the gardenia, he digs it out, and he's worried because it might be light and he might be caught, but he leaves 19 $1 bills. It's just a beautiful detail to tell us something about Mac. And that's that's who he is.
1: He is above board in every possible way, which is why it is so frustrating for him that his sister maybe skates the law just a little bit, or maybe more than a little bit. But I think a lot of people will read that and understand from their own families, because at heart, this is a book about families, how we relate to each other, how you feel about difference. I know people have said to me, Oh, that reminded me of my cousin, or that reminds me of my sister. Boy, sometimes she really irritates me. And I just I just hate her, but I love her, but I hate her. And I think we can honestly all say that sometimes in our family. We feel that way, and that's okay.
0: We're watching the smoke rise at the start up in the hills, and we wind up in Charlottesville, the city, and then on to New York. You didn't change locales just for sport there's something that can happen in a city that might not happen back home. What were you playing with when you took them to New York? Um, That was part of it, taking them
1: completely out of their element to show that, in essence, even though Mac and Bridget are adults, they really have never wandered far from where they grew up. And part of that is the absolute hold that even to this day their father still has on them, as if it has never really occurred to them that they could do this. The only one who gets out of town is Kieran, and they're not even sure that he's there, and that is so happenstance for them to end up in New York because he had a girlfriend who once said, I read about a bakery in New York, and so there you go. But I wanted to show them really out of their element and how they would be able to relate to each other, knowing that now they're in charge. since At this point, Caleb is sort of down for the count so far in the book. And how far would they go? What would they do to find their brother? And in essence, what it is that they are really looking for. Although Caleb has asked them to find Karen and please bring him back, they don't necessarily do that for Caleb. They do it for each other because they need to have that family unit back. They need to have it intact again. And that's what really drives them all the way up to Manhattan.
0: Did you choose American Bourbon as the title yourself? Titles are always the very
1: last thing that I come up with. And it's been a challenge my whole life. I don't know why. Sometimes I just name them completely bizarre things for the time and then come up with a title later. And it wasn't until my very last semester in graduate school and... I was working with some other people in a publishing class, and we were talking about Phil Brady, who's another wonderful professor there, who runs Etruscan Press with Bob Mooney, said how often they worked with authors to change titles. And so we were talking about that, and I had a completely different... I had a whole list of titles, and I said, I'm going to run these by you and tell me what you think. And it was another classmate that said, maybe you should just call it American bourbon. And I was like, I'm stumped by your brilliance. Thank you. And from then on, that was it, because that's what it's really about. And sometimes you need someone to stand outside and look at it and say, no, this is what it is. And then you can say, you're right. Let's go.
0: As you were writing, did Jennifer, the playwright, come to the fore? Were you writing scenes sometimes when you were placing the characters in a scene, and are you directing them while you're writing it? Of course I am, because I I tried very hard
1: to stop and just be live with them, and then I thought, I have been doing this my whole life. This is my process, and if it doesn't work, I will change it later. And there were many scenes where I had lots and lots of dialogue where David Poyer would say to me, okay, let's see if we can show this instead of talk about it. And he was, of course, correct in that. But it, it worked for me because I was able to sort of move them about in that way, even if they were just going down the street. I could see that and the way, you know, what's going on? Is there a tree there who's coming down towards you and all of this? So for my process, that was still really helpful to come from a theater background.
0: The other thing that is so natural is your sense of the terminology that would be used in moonshining practice. It's not stilted in any way. You just have a term here and it sounds so right. How did you get to know the vocabulary?
1: Well, that was also a lot of research. And after I had gone down to take my trip to Virginia, I came back and I started investigating online. And there are a lot of people who are very willing to help you after you show them that they can trust you because there are people that are illegally producing moonshine. I'm never going to tell you who any of them are, but they were wonderful and lovely to say, I can help you out with this. This is what we call this. Um, You might see this written this way in the newspaper, but that's incorrect. This is how we do it, and this is how we would build this still, and you wouldn't build it out of that. You would build it out of this, and I am so very grateful to all of the people out there across the country, really, who were willing to give me this information and help me to be able to portray them in an honest light, instead of as a cartoon figure. I wanted to be able to say, these people are real and live, and they know what they're doing. And they helped me with that tremendously.
0: Now, can you tell us where we can see you and hear you and how we can get the book? The book is
1: available at all of the big sites, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. I do like to give a shout-out to bookshop.org, because they reach out to local bookstores, and I always want to try to be able to support local people as much as I can. Next week, I will be reading at the Wilkes panel on Monday the 21st, and then there is the Lit Fest also at Wilkes on the 24th, where I will have books available. That is the night that Colin McCann is actually reading at the Creative Writing Program that night, and I'm very excited about that as well. The following night on the 25th, I will be having a live in-person event at the Tonkannock Library, and we are going to donate a portion of all of the books there to the library. So anyone that wants to wait to pick up a book until they come to the in-person event will also be able to make a donation to the library which, again, I think is very important as well.
0: Now, you continue to write as we are talking. I am actually working on another book, yes.
1: Um, I was given the advice from another author that once you start to market your book, you need to start writing the second one. Otherwise, you won't be able to leave it alone, and you will look at it and say, oh, why did I write that? Oh, I don't like that anymore. And they were absolutely correct. So I have the next book well
0: underway. Jennifer Jenkins, novelist, playwright, and writing instructor, speaking about her new novel, American Bourbon, just released by Northampton House Press. Jennifer will take part in the June residency of the Maslow Family Graduate Program in Creative Writing on the campus of Wilkes University in Wilkes-Barre. She'll be part of a panel on Monday, June 21st, and the next evening, Friday, June 25th at 6 p.m., there will be a book release, a book launch at the Tuncanic Public Library, 220 West Tioga Street. That is in Tuncanic. It's a hometown book launch. That will be again at 6 o'clock at the Tuncanic Public Library, Friday, June 25th. For more information on the web, JenniferJenkinsWriter.com Jennifer Jenkins. Writer.com. Jennifer, jenkinswriter.com And if you'd like more information about the Wilkes Week ahead, they will be having public readings throughout the sessions, Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and as Jennifer mentioned, the event on the 24th at 6.30 with a keynote reading by the award-winning writer Colin McCann with special guests Maureen Corrigan, whom you hear on Fresh Air and also Beverly D'Onofrio, and that's wilkes.edu, wilkes.edu. But the novel is American Bourbon, and it was released just at the beginning of June by Northampton House Press, and for more information, jenniferjenkinswriter.com.